the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Abolition Radio, the broadcast outreach of Love Never Fails, inviting you to join the fight to end human trafficking. Look in the eyes to see. Look in me straight to leave. You give me all I need. So give me courage to believe. Each week, Abolition Radio sheds light on the darkness of modern slavery, celebrates the work of abolitionists who are fighting for freedom, and equips the church to engage in the work of justice with hope rooted in God's Word. Our goal is to see a radio audience become an army of gospel activists. You're in the neighborhoods we live in. You're in the ones we're passing by. You're in the ones we call our neighbors. And the ones who still sleep are Now here's the host of Abolition Radio, founder and executive director of Love Never Fails. Vanessa Russell. Thanks, Dave, and welcome to Abolition Radio, the broadcast outreach of Love Never Fails. We are in the studio today with a very special guest. Um, I mentioned her a couple of weeks ago on our show, and I'm just so grateful to have her. Uh, we are here with Beth Hassett, who is the CEO of Weave um, from the Northern California, Sacramento area. Nice to see you here. Great to have you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And and of course, I, I don't want to move on without saying hi to my partner in justice, Benita Hopkins. She should be joining us shortly, but um, we're trying, we're doing a little bit of divide and conquer. So um, she'll join us in a future segment. We're going to go ahead and dive right in uh, just to tell you a little bit about Beth. Um, Beth has uh, just been advocating for women and children that are vulnerable, that are marginalized, that are oppressed. She's been doing that for 25 years, really improving the quality of life of people in the Sacramento region and beyond. And um, I had the great oppor- the opportunity to meet one of her staff members uh, a couple weeks ago, Jamie, a wonderful woman and advocate as well. And, and uh, you know, as she began to unfold all of the services that are being offered there, you know, I was just so encouraged to know that um, that, the, that this is going on and, and actually to to attend their community store that was up there and uh, buy a few beautiful items, which we'll talk about later on. If you uh, any shoppers out there want to go and get a nice little deal and also give back while you're doing that. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that. But just Weave. Weave is currently um, has seven housing facilities for victims of domestic violence and sex trafficking. Uh, they have a 13 person um, victims um, response team uh, that does some advocacy, uh, mobile advocacy to victims there in the in the Sacramento area. And Beth, my goodness, you've done. So I'm looking at your bio here. Sacramento's first five commissioner served as, as the governor's appointee to the statewide domestic violence advisory committee. Um, part of the 2016 Congressional Victims Rights uh, Caucus um, and, and was honored by them. Um, and 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 with the Memorial Ed Stout Memorial Rewar- Award. Uh, for outstanding victim advocacy and so on. I mean, just so much uh, here and um, and doing such important work. And so first, I want to say thank you. 
And um, and I'd love to hear about how you got started. What, what, where did this begin? And um, and and what has this journey meant to you? You know, it really began in college. I had grown up in on the East Coast and in the Midwest, um, but went to college in Utah. Okay, and was surrounded by a lot of white male privilege mm-hmm. in my finance department. And it really was a day in a business ethics class where one of the guys said, you know, everyone in America is born with all the same opportunity. Hmm. And I can't help it if they don't avail themselves of these opportunities. Interesting. And 19-year-old me said, well, that's a bunch of crap. Mm-hmm. And if these are going to be the leaders in that community, I'm worried for the people in, in the United States and in this in this world. And it led me on a path of looking for, you know, where, where is there justice? Um, where does opportunity really lie? And what opportunities are children given? And whose job is it to make sure that life is fair and that there's equity in this world? So I started that journey in my early 20s. And it led me to Weave. And I've been connected to Weave for 25 years in one way or the other. Wow. And so did you you just start off as an advocate or did you start as a leader at Weave? I started out in fundraising. Okay. Um, I figured that's where I could really have an impact. I had a background in in fundraising and communications and finance. finance. So I started out um, raising money and, and running events for Weave and then... Then it led to me doing some direct service work. I worked on the crisis line for four years, okay. um, taking calls and then going on emergency responses with sexual assault victims and being in the room while they're going through one of the more most difficult, difficult and personal experiences somebody could go through. And eventually it led to me becoming um, the leader 11 years ago. So Wow. And so um, lots of engagement with law enforcement as you went out on those stings and just really seeing real world what's happening. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, it really led me to want to tell the story and to allow victims to tell their own stories, which Mm -hmm. is really important. And just to make sure that um, the safety net that's out there for people is strong and that we're making sure people are safe and in their own bodies, in their homes and out on the streets. So tell me, so you were, you said you were 19 when um, you had that aha moment with someone saying everyone has the same privilege. What what was it about you that um, gave you that insight? You know, I I had grown up in much more diverse areas and had never really thought about it. Mm. I mean, I think I think when you grow up as a white educated girl, you yeah. you're just you, and you don't really think that much about what other people are experiencing. And it caused me to really reflect on people I had known growing up, and um, whether it was people in poverty, um, you know. People of color who and, and recent immigrants. I went to again a very diverse um, elementary school mm-hmm. and junior high school, and I, I really did a lot of work on myself to go. You know what? What have I been given? What's my responsibility in this world yeah. as somebody who who's now aware? I've, yeah. I've been put on notice, <laughs> right? So you just intuitively kind of observed that there this was not a true statement that everyone had the same opportunities and they should just kind of pull themselves up by their bootstraps and get going. And I'd been looking at it philosophically, you know, reading, taking philosophy classes, looking at the ethics side of it that, um, you know, I really took that to heart of, you know, if we're trading beads with people for their blood, is that ethical as a business practice? That kind of a thing um, sort of got me thinking. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
Um, so, you know, I have, as I was sharing with you before we started, I have, I actually have seven kids, my husband and I, um, and wow. it's a, yeah, it's a blended family and, um, and our youngest is nine and our oldest is 27 and we have, um, in there, uh, 18 and a 21 year old, two boys. And, um, you know, to think about you being 19, right. And coming to that place where you're saying, this isn't this doesn't sound right, um, and either from my own experience and observation, and also from my own learning and education, um, is really great. You were kind of already grounded in, you know, empowered to be able to step out and say, "Hey, you know what? I I want to do something about this truth that I've, I'm aware of." Um, which is so awesome. And it, it's just funny because um, it probably had a lot to do with the way you were being raised to your parents and whatnot. Uh, when I think about the things that my nine-year-old daughter says, you know, that she's just very outspoken about people's rights. And, you know, and when <laughs> she's told me, these fifth graders were, she's in the third grade, these fifth graders were trying to bully a second grader. And I went up and said, no, no, you're not doing that. And I'm like, oh, you went up to fifth graders and said, that's got to stop. And so I'm like, good for you. You know, um, see something, say something, you know, speak up. Um, and so I think the more we, you know, we got to do that. Um, but so, so tell me, um, so tell me today you're the CEO of Weave and you think back to that 19 year old self. Did you know that you were going to be in the place that you are today? Do you think, did you have aspirations of that? You know, I had no idea. I didn't, I really, um, didn't know that much about the women's movement, yeah. you know, all, all of that. I I wasn't a little activist at the time. I think the most um, interesting thing going on on my college campus was it was the time of apartheid. And so there was a shanty town and, you know, mm. and that sort of thing. Yeah. But again, my first opportunity about thinking of, you know, beyond myself, and I've since gone to South Africa and post-apartheid and mm-hmm. um and that's been really interesting but no i really had no idea i wanted i wanted to make sure that the work that weave and other agencies are doing continued on which is why i went down that fundraising path i thought you know if i'm raising money there will always be social services and people able to do that work. Yes. I just didn't know where my what my role was ultimately going to be in How that. How you would help with that. Wow. Well, that's awesome. I When you come back, so there's several things uh, that I'd like to talk uh, talk through. One of the things that caught my eye as I was looking at your bio again is um, your prevention education for youth and adults called Silence Doesn't Work Here. And I love that. It's edgy. <laughs> and um, and again, it's, it's sort of that pushback on just accepting, uh, you know, the status quo, right? And so, so when we come back, we're going to talk all about, you, you know, your housing program, mobile advocacy, your prevention education, and make sure that the listening audience kind of learns how you came to develop those areas and how they can get involved. So we'll be right back with another session of Abolition Radio. We'll be back with more Abolition Radio right after these messages. Welcome back to Abolition Radio where you are invited to join the fight against human trafficking. And welcome back to Abolition Radio, the broadcast outreach of Love Never Fails. We are in the studio today again with Beth Hassett, who is the CEO of Weave. 
And Weave is, is doing some amazing work in the Sacramento region, established in 1978, providing crisis intervention and prevention services for women, men, and children in Sac County who are victims of domestic violence, sexual assault, or human trafficking. So we were just learning a little bit about how you got started from a personal uh, standpoint. Um, I Again, I had the opportunity to speak with Jamie a couple weeks or probably just over a month ago and um, learn about the plethora of services that you uh, you provide. Um, tell us about, uh, tell us a little bit about those. You know, I think um, one of the primary services and really one of the most life-saving services is our housing. We've got a lot of housing options and Sacramento, um, like many areas in California, is really impacted with with even rental housing. Uh, it's expensive, it's scarce. Um, so we house a lot of folks who are escaping either domestic violence or sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. And we've got options for folks. We've got a more communal living situation, a large 12,000 square foot safe house, but we also have apartments and cottages that people can stay in. And so we really assess, you know, whether somebody would be successful living amongst a whole lot of other people or um, if they need more privacy and um, place them where, where they're best fit. Um, we also have a large legal department because for a lot of people, it's really those legal barriers that are, are keeping them yeah. back. Um, whether it's needing to get a restraining order against an abuser or a trafficker, or uh, if they have immigration issues and are undocumented, we can help them with that as well. Yes. So, you know, whatever it takes, a lot of folks are afraid of losing their kids. So we yes. do a lot of work around custody and making sure that um, those kiddos stay with their with their parents. Yeah. One of the tactics that I've observed has been used quite a bit to keep people involved in exploitation and, um, and or in domestic violence scenarios is the threat of losing their children. Well, if people found out that you, you know, you're, you're uh, selling yourself, you know, you're a prostitute, they would, they would, you know, give me your, give me the kids. And so I will, you know, I'll tell on you and, uh, you know, and, and that fear of uh, that someone, the, the shame that goes with it and that somebody would be able to take their children, you know, because of what they're really being, victimized, uh, you know, and forced to do is, um, is a, a, a typical tactic that is utilized. And so I, I just wonder, um, you know, as you think about that, um, do you find, I noticed, I, so I, I spoke with Cora, I don't know if you're familiar with Cora, but they're a similar mm-hmm. type of agency in um, San Mateo. And they shared that their response line, so people dialing into their 24 hour crisis line is a place where they become, um, uh, they they are placed at ease, and there there there's some safety created there, so that they can even begin to explore some of those fears. Because oftentimes, um, they don't even want to reach out for help for fear that the 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 threat that is being made um, it could actually come to pass. And sometimes just speaking the words for the first time, really talking about what's going on for you, that in and of itself is a big barrier for a lot of people. So just being able to call and talk to somebody who's kind on the other end of the line and can, you know, validate what's going on, can, um, you know, offer help, do some safety planning. Mm -hmm. That can be a really powerful first step for people. And so if someone's listening right now and they're in a exploitative or um, domestic violence situation and they just want to talk to someone, how can they get in touch with your crisis line? You know, our our number is 916-920-2952. And we also have an 877 option for people who are out of the area. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, we answer it 24-7 and trained counselors there who can 
just talk. I mean, sometimes that's all people need is just to talk. We also have a message board option on our website, yes, which is weaveinc.org, where people can ask an anonymous question. Okay. And we answer it and um, it's posted there for other people to read. And we find a lot of people will even just peruse the message board and just see what other people were asking about. Again, um, giving that sense that there's a whole community of people out there experiencing perhaps what you're experiencing and, um, and you're not alone. Yeah, that's so good. And so going back to your housing program, how do you become aware of the domestic, you know, domestic violence and um, sex trafficking, labor trafficking um, needs of victims that are in your area? You know, we've spent a lot of time just being responsive to what people are asking for. Um, during the recession, when we had less money, mm-hmm. um, we, we were turning a lot of people away. We just couldn't provide services. But we've applied for and gotten a lot of new funding, which has allowed us to be more mobile. We found that that's one thing that people really yes. want is for us to go to where they are, whether it's in the hospital um with the youth, sometimes it's that they're at the receiving home and they need somebody to come and advocate for them and and be with them, whether it's um, going to law enforcement. So really meeting people where they are and then assessing, is housing really what you need or do you need legal protections? Um, do you just need somebody right now in the moment? But um, so most of our requests come over our support line. People call in and say, I think I might need housing or I might need a higher level of protection mm-hmm. um, than just a restraining order. And we do a screening. You know, our, our goal is to screen people in. We're ver- very often full and that can be a barrier, but um, we'll put people in motel rooms or do whatever it takes to keep them safe while we figure out what their longer term solution might be. So there, um, there is an intake process for your houses, but you have some alternatives that people can utilize as a stopgap while they're being processed. Is that, is that right? Absolutely. I mean, right now we've got a woman who's five months pregnant. She's been being trafficked, um, all up and down the valley and, um, finally was able to get away. Mm. And right now we've, we've got her in a motel just because we have nowhere else to put her, but we're providing her with food and support and, you know, visiting her and counseling her and, I know she's very grateful just to be safe yes. and to be somewhere where she can't be found. Yes. Beautiful. And so in your programming, um, let's say in your shelters or in your transitional um, housing uh, programming, what kind of services can the people, you know, the residents or the women, and is it women, men and children? Or? It's women, men and children, okay, so. transgender folks. We really um, have been very open from the get go. And, awesome. and we've actually found it to, you know, people were a little freaked out about taking men, but you know, they're going through the same thing that the women are. Um, We offer an array of services. Nothing is required. We don't trade services for housing because um, people are coming from a very controlling environment and we're trying to be less bossy and less controlling than they came from. But we offer therapeutic counseling, group counseling. Um, We have medical providers who come in and we'll just do some of that routine medical stuff that sometimes people are afraid to go to the doctor or to the hospital. They're afraid that somebody's going to discover what's going on with them because of, um, you know, STIs or bruises, that kind of thing. Yes. So an array of medical, um, we also will, you know, drive people to get them set up with their, um, whether they need uh, CalFresh to get food, um, Mm -hmm. you know, some of those basic necessities and then legal services. So again, legal barriers and a lot of people don't think about it, but financial abuse is huge, Huge. um, with trafficking and with domestic violence. People don't have access to their own money. Mm -hmm. Um, they're on an allowance. Um, they're in debt, which, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people think, oh my gosh, I'm in so much debt. I'll never be able to find housing or, 
or get out of this. And that can hold people back and keep them in really dangerous situations. Absolutely. So cognitive therapy, group counseling, um, uh, legal services, um, uh, and, you know, helping with credit repair credit and, and repair, just understanding what's on your credit, financial mm-hmm. literacy, those kinds of things. Yep. Wow. Okay. That's wonderful. And so, <clears throat> um, I love what you said about the mobile services because, um, we too have, um, had some challenges in meeting the needs of our, our program members by staying in a brick and mortar office, mm-hmm. right? It's like, you know, they're in trauma, they're in crisis. They can barely make it down the street. And we're saying, come all the way across town or maybe even to another city to um, to meet with a, a therapist. And so I'm curious, what do you think about um, some of the – there's a, a shift in the clinical space. Uh, there's a shift in um, providing cognitive therapy and to using technology, doing um, like video cognitive therapy. Um, when we come back, I'd love to get your take on that and some other ways of addressing some of the needs of our clients. So we'll be right back. And thank you for listening to Abolition Radio. We'll be back with more Abolition Radio right after these messages from our sponsors. Welcome back to Abolition Radio, where you are invited to join the fight against human trafficking. Welcome back to Abolition Radio, the broadcast outreach of Love Never Fails. We are in the studio today with Bet Hassett, who's the CEO of Weave. And as I mentioned earlier, Weave has been around since 1978, doing great work in the Sacramento area, providing crisis intervention and prevention services to women, men, and children. And we were just learning uh, a little bit about uh, the mobile services as well as the housing um, and the services that uh, a resident can expect to receive or have access to, at least, uh, when they're in, in the homes. Um, tell me a little bit about, so, so we were talking about this, this idea of providing remote clinical services. Have you explored that at all? And what are your thoughts on that? You know, we have tele- telemedicine equipment, mm-hmm. and um, that's been one thought is we could, but, you know, we the logistics on the other end aren't always easy. I yeah. think one of the things that we've been most successful at are finding community partners where survivors might be going anyway. Yeah. And embedding folks there or at least responding to where they are. And that's been very successful, especially working with the family resource centers throughout our community Mm -hmm. where, um, you know, they're in high need areas, underserved areas. Mm -hmm. And by sending therapists there, you know, people are already getting services. They're either, you know, getting parenting classes or um, are getting other kinds of supports around raising children, that sort of thing. Yes. And it already feels like a safe place to go. Yes. So to just add our staff there, you know, I think one one challenge in the work um, that we all do is people don't always identify as being a victim. I mean, who wants to be a victim? No. And so we're presuming that they've self-diagnosed before they even walk in our brick-and-mortar place. Right. Whereas a lot of people are still really in that contemplative space of, you know, my relationship feels unhealthy, but is it? Right. Or does this really count as sexual assault? Or I've heard of human trafficking, but I don't know if what I'm experiencing really counts as that. Yes. So I think being available for people to sort of contemplate that um, in a place that feels safe to them yes. with somebody who isn't labeling them right away is an important part of really reaching out to some of these folks who need our help and um, just haven't branded themselves as I am a victim. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The, the most impactful engagements that I think I've had have been out of the places 
that where everybody, everything is diagnosed and known and, you know, it's more impromptu dynamic conversations. You're out and about somewhere, you meet somebody, they start saying something, these are red flags and you start saying, you know, Hey, I've got some opportunities for you. I've got help for you. And those are the individuals where it's like, wow, like very sort of, uh, surprisingly, um, uh, shocking and, and yet, um, exciting outcomes, right? Just overwhelming outcomes that you hadn't anticipated. And we learned a lot just by looking at what people type into Google to mm. get to our website. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we found a lot of it was question type things yeah. rather than, I believe I have, I'm a victim of domestic violence. It really was more, why does he yell at me? Yes. And, you know, effect on my kids, you know, looking at, looking at, kind of the symptoms of what's going on rather than diagnosing exactly what is wrong in the, in the relationship or, or in yeah. an exploitive situation. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Just kind of um, um, t- um, looking at the whole environment and really look, looking at it, like you said, meeting the person where they are from their perspective, right? Exactly. So, so thinking, um, you know, so telemedicine has come up quite a bit for me and actually we have a, a, a great relationship with Dignity Health and I believe you do as well. Um, uh, at least, you know, they've yep. shared that they've reached out to everyone in the Sacramento community and I'm, and they have spent some time, Dr. Chambers there has spent time trying to come up with like a trauma informed clinic model for human trafficking survivors, we found that to be very successful for a couple of our survivors. To, because why? Because they were seen immediately. Um, they uh, were treated with care. Um, one would say, well, shouldn't everybody be treated with care? But um, <clears throat> I think even more so knowing what they were up against. And uh, many of their medical needs were were expedited. Um, and so that's where <clears throat> some of my thought came in, you know, about could we emerge technology and these services in some way to bring care to people in a more expeditious way? Because I find that some of the brick and mortar um, options are a little bit more uh, delayed. Well, I agree. And I think we, I think the entire field of domestic violence and sexual assault has been very delayed in embracing technology. Mm-hmm. There's actually a great conference in the Bay area mm-hmm. every summer that we, we send staff to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it it ends up being very fear-based in how we approach some of this new stuff. Oh, we couldn't possibly text somebody, even though that's how people under the age of 25 would prefer to communicate with us. Because what if the perpetrator's texting on the phone? Well, you know, we can't we can't let the occasional time something like that might happen really be a barrier to the fact that that's how some people want to get help. Right. Um, I really would like to have an instant like a chat feature um, on our website mm-hmm. so people could actually in live time be talking to a counselor. Right. Because I can tell you, I've got a 23-year-old and a 28-year-old and they're never going to pick up the phone and call somebody. Right. But they would potentially do a chat feature or a text, that kind of thing. And I think that's where we really need to be heading if we're going to reach, especially these children who are being exploited yes. and some of these younger folks who, you know, it's 1970 technology right. to call a crisis line, frankly, right. for a lot of people. And, you know, and so we've actually taken the lead um, on the prevention education standpoint, um, we've taken the lead from the National Human Trafficking Hotline 
as who's really stepped out and 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 created this sort of text be free right right text forum and they found the majority of their communication starts with texting and in asking for help and so um, we've developed an app uh, called tip now in partnership with the national trafficking hotline and the protect um, prevention education team and, and launched that so that uh, these kids have a vehicle for getting uh, getting access to, to to the health help they need and again relying on them to call that is like sorry pardon the cliche so last year right right, right. and because texting's private it's quiet right you can do it anywhere right and um, you know it's an easy way to reach out for help rather than having to be on a telephone and they know how to delete them. Exactly. <laughs> Which is part of that safety. That's yes. right. Yep. So, well, th- that is, um, that is, uh, interesting. And I'm glad to hear that we're kind of on the same page. I'm always curious as to what other people's thoughts are on some of these new trends that are up and coming. Um, thinking a little bit, uh, you know, about your, uh, your housing, um, uh, services. So you have seven, you said seven different homes. Yep. And tell me about how are they structured? Are there some that are, there's emergency shelters, correct? Correct. Um, Two are emergency, well, really three. One is half emergency, half transitional, and that's an apartment complex. The other is an 80-bed shelter. So it's um, very communal living, although people are in their own suites, and we've broken it up into different wings so that it feels more residential. I didn't want it to feel you know, like you're in an Clinical. institution. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the other um, is only for sex trafficking victims, emergency housing, and it's um, six beds. Okay. And so that's more of a more of a house feel to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we've got independent apartments and we've got cottages where we either will, will put um, two single women or, um, or one family if somebody has kids. So, you know, different levels of independence. Some people really aren't prepared to be completely independent or it wouldn't be feel safe for them. Yes. So some people transition through, you know, they'll start in the emergency shelter and then we move them into something that's a little bit more private. And how long can they stay? Emergency shelter is, Generally, 60 days, okay. although um, we'll let people stay longer if, if, if there's a reason to. for mm-hmm. it. Um, transitional housing is up to two years. Wow. that And see, if, I'm so glad I was when Jamie mentioned that I just was um, really glad to hear that because what I have observed is uh, trafficking survivors. There's no way that they're ready to go and face the world after a couple of months. Right. Absolutely not. I mean, yeah. I, I would imagine the same is true of domestic violence, um, uh, but maybe you know, even more so with human trafficking, because uh, and actually I'd love to get your take on this um, uh, in speaking with other agencies that provide housing for both domestic violence and human trafficking. They've uh, I think we're all coming to this place where we recognize there's some significant differences between the two. They're extremely different. We thought we could just commingle everybody at first and just the needs are different. You know, where people are coming from are different. You're all in crisis and it's all different types of crisis. So so we do segment folks out. Yeah. And um, I was was talking to Cora about that and they said the same thing. Ruby's Place is uh, is another one of our partners in the East Bay that um, also provides services to, to domestic violence and human trafficking. And again, things come up like, you know, your your you know, your abuse or your experience is not the same as mine. It's you know, it's also being productized. That does a lot to, you know, to a person um, beyond being abused by someone you love, right? Um, being a price being placed on you and you being forced uh, to be sold. It just has a whole nother dynamic. There's a lot of competition that comes with that and a variety of other things. So 
Uh, good again to hear that um, we're on the same page. So, um, I, so we're going to take a break. Uh, we're going to come back. I want to hear about other ways that uh, people that are listening may have someone that is in need that can, you know, uh, repeating some of the numbers there that uh, they can reach out to, as well as events that are going on in the community. And I want to learn about your prevention education program. So we'll be right back. And thank you for listening to Abolition Radio. We'll be back with more Abolition Radio right after these messages. Welcome back to Abolition Radio, where you are invited to join the fight against human trafficking. And welcome back to Abolition Radio, the broadcast outreach of Love Never Fails. Again, in the studio today with Beth Hassett, the CEO of Weave. And we are learning all about the wonderful services that they offer to um, victims of domestic violence and human trafficking in um, the Sacramento area, men, women, and children alike. And so uh, just thinking a bit about prevention education. So you know, I'm super passionate about this topic because, um, first off, you know, being a survivor of all kinds of abuse myself personally, um, I, you know, I know that what it feels like to not know where to come to, to share your pain and to get help and to not, not even think that people want to help you, but, you know, so that's step one. And then step two uh, is to see the outcomes of not getting that help, right? When that trauma just is allowed to persist in one's life. Oftentimes, uh, someone who's experienced um, abuse as a child will then go on to a domestic violence type relationship and then oftentimes goes on to a human trafficking type relationship. Uh, there's a connection there, or at least there's groundwork that has been laid that lends itself to that kind of a path. And, and how, you know, how wonderful is it to be able to interrupt that, that, that journey, that process, right? With, with education. Um, how, you know, what are your thoughts on prevention education for kids? You know, and it is that interconnectivity that led us to to actually go into working with victims of sex trafficking because we had long been a domestic violence agency and a yeah. sexual assault agency, and we really saw that connection. Um, I think getting to kids is absolutely critical if we're ever going to stop this. Right. And um, I think in in two areas specifically, helping them heal from that that trauma of any sexual abuse that they've experienced, which yeah. might lead them to making making different choices or tolerating um, behaviors, behaviors later on yeah. um, in life. Um, but also getting getting to them to prevent sexual assault and um, make sure that girls know how to protect themselves. Yeah. And, you know, I never blame the victim, but we can make different, we can make choices that um, make us less vulnerable right. to sexual assault. And we're spending a lot of time working with those kids before they go off to college. I mean, we've all seen these new statistics about um, how many girls are getting sexually assaulted, especially right there in that um, first quarter or first semester of their freshman year of college. Yes. So making sure girls understand risk factors. Um, the teen dating violence, you know, dating violence is an ex- completely different dynamic than a domestic violence situation with a married couple or yeah. people adults in a long-term relationship it's it's very different and i think it's taken a while for the field to really recognize it it's different when you're going to school with the person who's abusing you um when you don't want to tell your parents about it when when it's very hidden um when things at home aren't so healthy either this feels 
as healthy as you know. Right. And so getting to those kids um, young and high school's too late. Um, We're in the high schools and we're doing a lot of work around gender-based violence with the kids, but we really need to be in junior highs and we need to be in elementary Elementary. schools talking about what does a healthy relationship look like because kids don't know. Yeah. And so um, as you know, we've, we launched in partnership with Three Strands Global and Frederick Douglass Family Initiative, a prevention education um, collaboration um, that goes into fifth, seventh, ninth, and eleventh grade uh, classrooms, and um, the reason you know we we looked at that span is because well, first off, you know if we look at the statistics that are coming from the DOJ, average age being twelve to fourteen or eleven to fourteen, um, that is fifth grade, right? And so w- we need to be having conversations, not necessarily about sex trafficking. But about boundaries, about, you know, keeping ourselves safe, about um, uh, safe people, safe places, safe choices, and um, and and then building upon that message, not in a, you know, in a one time conversation, but creating a continuum of care across all the administrators, across all teachers, across all the community um, and all the CBOs and all the NGOs, everybody in the community all saying, hey, it, this is this is okay. It's okay for you to say no. It's okay for you to have a voice in this place. And I loved, you know, I thought that was the name of your education program. Silence doesn't work here. But for me, that that is, you know, that that tagline, right, is is exactly it, right? Well, and I think I, lo- I love what you just said there because you're talking about the positive, the what we can be doing, and the what we should be expecting. I think too often in this work, we talk about what we're ending and stopping. Right. And you can't stop something if you don't know what you're going to. And we, we hear that with the youth all the time. Well, I don't know what healthy looks like. I don't know what I, what I should expect from my life. So helping these kids understand, you know, this is what good boundary setting looks like. And yeah. this is what um, kind people look like. And this is what a healthy relationship looks like is really important for us to be sharing with them. Yeah. And yeah, I call it vision casting. You know, when I, when I sit down with a young person and, and it does help. Um, that, you know, just, this is just Vanessa, like this isn't the systematic process, but just Vanessa being real about, Hey, I come from this background and yet, um, there was this, uh, these abilities that I had, right. That I didn't even know I had because of this background. And now I'm able to, um, leverage some of the pain actually that I went through has built this level of resilience in me and combine it with, these abilities and be very successful in these areas. And so giving them a hope, giving them an opportunity to um, think about, you know, I can set these boundaries and why, because I'm valuable, because I'm, I'm important, I'm able, I'm capable. And I, I have, you know, there's a future ahead for me. It's that strength-based approach to working with people who've been victimized and exploited. Um, we created a website just for, for teens called um, yourcleanslate.org. Yes. And we're continually adding to that. But um, part of it is a check your relationship quiz that they can take um, mm, to see if that. this boyfriend that you have is really a healthy relationship or if it's somebody who's exploiting you. And we, we spent a lot of time talking about what the right language was and the right feel. And we went with your clean slate for that exact reason, it's you can wipe your slate clean anytime. Yeah. You can take the strengths, the grit, the resilience that you have, and you can start fresh yes. and build on the good parts of your life and um, where you've where you've come through the fire and um, and move forward rather than always having to look back and regret things that have happened to that you happened, or yeah. or to um, 
to be caught up in that trauma. Yeah, I carry the shame. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've partnered with West Coast Children Children's Clinic and as part of the Protect program, and they they I just I was at the uh, Northern California Truancy Summit yesterday. Um, and they were sharing uh, in their uh, lease uh, uh, from West Coast Children's Clinic was talking about the way that the brain works and how, uh, you know, when we're in trauma, we just keep repeating the trauma over and over again, right? We don't, there's not a reset button that says, hey, uh, complex trauma. Mm-hmm. There's not a reset button that says, hey, your alarm system is a, is allowed to go and rest. So right. it's just in this constant alarm, space of alarm. And so having more people reassuring the children that you're you're safe you can start to get getting back to who you are and you really have to reprogram that fight flight or freeze thing that the reptilian part of your brain does during trauma yes. and it takes a lot of work and it takes um the right clinical people around you to recalibrate yourself so that you can move forward and not just always be in this state of crisis in crisis yeah and you can get so addicted to that. And so so when we think about the um, – and, and I, I shouldn't say you get so addicted. It's just the way the brain works, right? Absolutely. It's, it's just, it just does not want to let go. It might happen again. It might happen again. So anyway, <laughs> so, so just thinking you know, about prevention education, you're going into the middle schools and high schools now? Yep. Okay. And, um, you know, we also do adults. You, you talked about our science doesn't work here um, program. We're actually going into businesses, oh, businesses yeah. because there are a lot of protections that victims have mm-hmm. and victims of sexual assault, stalking and domestic violence. And, you know, we spend a lot of time at work. Yes. And so um, making sure that the people around people at work are following the law, but also providing the right right level of support. Um on the other side of things, we work a lot with teachers because the teachers are supposed to be um, reporting when they see signs of sex trafficking. And a lot of teachers don't realize yeah. that that's something they're supposed to be reporting. Yeah. When the laws changed where the mandated reporters had to report even suspicion, I understand that the um, increase in reports was, went up 50 percent almost within a month. And they need to understand what suspicion means because a lot of them have not really understand not understood. Clear. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, 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 you know, it's, it's amazing. Just the red flags being, sharing some of the red flags. I I saw some light, you know, eyeballs just open wide open when I was looking at the truancy officers and saying things like someone who has two phones, right? Mm -hmm. Someone who doesn't have access to their, um, their identification. Um, someone who's receiving large gifts from a boyfriend, you know, and and they're like, oh uh-huh. my gosh, yep. that's yep. someone who I'm working with. And so, if you're listening, um, please, uh, we we encourage you reach out um, and 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 get someone involved in your community. If it's in the Sacramento area, reach out to Weave. Uh, if you uh, are looking at something that's more, you know, looking at fifth, seventh, ninth, and eleventh grade, and maybe another area, reach out and 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 get protect involved at the county level. And let's let's do something about this. Let's prevent our children from being abused and exploited. We're going to come right back and talk about events that are going on in the community. And thank you for listening to Abolition Radio. We'll be back with more Abolition Radio right after these messages from our sponsors. Welcome back to Abolition Radio, where you are invited to join the fight against human trafficking. And welcome back to Abolition Radio, the broadcast outreach of Love Never Fails. Again, um, thank you so much, Beth, for being on. We so appreciate you and all that you do. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And so 
let's uh, let the listening audience know how they can connect with you and weave and support the wonderful work. Okay. Um, go to our website, which is weaveinc.org. And there are just a lot of great resources on there. Um, information about sex trafficking, sexual assault, domestic violence, um, phone numbers to call um, for our crisis line. And we do a lot of referring out to your local agency. So if you live in another county, um, happy to connect you with somebody in the county that you live in and so you can get local support. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And so let's uh, let's also you have the stores, right? We didn't even or the store. We, we do. Didn't. We have two stores. We oh, have, have Weave Works and we have True. Um, one is in downtown Sacramento, and the other is um, out on Arden Way. And recycled fashion is our specialty for men, women, and children. And we actually clothe a lot of people going back to work and clients who are staying in our residential facility, about um, 300 people a year um, get free clothing, a week's worth of clothing if you're starting a new job, uh, interview outfit if you're interviewing, and just um, emergency necessities for people who often have fled an environment and not brought their clothes with them or have clothes that are inappropriate for the season or what they're up to now. Yeah. <laughs> so we... We take donations from the community and we sell those clothes and the money goes back into our um, programs and um, and helps to support our mission. Our store in Midtown Sacramento on 19th and K Street um, also participates in Second Saturday, which is an art walk. And so if you're up in the Sacramento area, it's, it's a fun um, time when all the galleries are open and stores like like true, we feature often who are doing um, art, who, and they are survivors, um, or they've worked with survivors, and um, we're, we sell the art and also just display it. But it's it's just kind of a fun thing to do on the second Saturday of every month in the summertime and into the fall if you're in the Sacramento region and swing Yay. by our store. Excellent. So um, that is. Um, a great uh, way to not only give back, but also to come away with an awesome item. I know firsthand. <laughs> okay. And then just in terms of things that are going on with Love Never Fails, um, as always, we have on third Saturday of the month, our street outreach. This month, we are going to be going to San Francisco. And so uh, read, reach out to streets at loveneverfailsus.com for more details. I believe we'll be meeting at 630 at Faith Fellowship Church, which is 577 Man. Boulevard in San Leandro, meeting there for our training, and then we will head out to San Francisco, and uh, uh, we are so grateful. I want to give a shout out to PBCC. Uh, They actually uh, donated uh, 200 outreach bags to us this past weekend, and so we are all set for the year, it it seems like, in terms of being able to provide toiletries to um, homeless uh, that we might meet while we're out reaching out to exploited people that are being sold in any of you know our streets here and in, in, in throughout the Northern California area. So we appreciate you, PBCC and Grace and Michelle, for your support. And um, and then also we've got some folks that have been uh, uh, just so awesome in giving us welcome kits for the ladies that are coming, uh, the mothers and, and women that are coming into our homes. And so we're almost set on our welcome kits for the year as well. I think we received 33 from World Vision uh, recently. And so we can't thank you enough for that. Um, and if um, uh, if there are others that want to do something similar for our houses or for our street outreach in terms of giving encouragement,
encouraging cards. Oh, Lovey Spay. Yes. Thank you, Lovey Spay. You, you did some wonderful encouraging cards for our ladies. And we just want to encourage you to be a gift, uh, uh, use your gifts to, uh, to really bless the ladies that are in the programs and the people that are in the streets that are hurting so much. Uh, we also uh, want to encourage you to come out for, um, uh, our um, volunteer orientation, um, reach out. It, I believe it's the third Thursday of the month. Reach out to volunteers at loveneverfailsus.com. And then, of course, just check out our website, loveneverfailsus.com. Uh, we've got a bunch of information about the variety of programs that we offer. Um, you go on to our Facebook page, which is Love Never Fails, um, our uh, Twitter feed, Love Never Fails 5, and uh, let us know how um, how you'd like to get involved. Uh, we rely on your support. And so, of course, we want to ask you to uh, become one of the million ways we solve hum- human trafficking by giving $1 a month. And you can do that again by going to our website and clicking the donate button. Of course, um, we don't ever want to end the show. And just in case you haven't heard it from us before or you just need to hear it again, we want to make sure that you know that you are loved. Thanks for joining us this week on Abolition Radio. We trust that you've been inspired by these stories of hope and survival and that you'll accept our challenge to get involved by contacting us at abolitionradio.org, by liking and sharing our page on Facebook, Facebook slash Abolition Radio, or by making a contribution directly to Love Never Fails. Abolition Radio is the broadcast outreach of Love Never Fails, which is a donor-supported, nonprofit ministry that Vanessa founded as a way of directly impacting the lives of young people who are trapped in or at risk of becoming involved in sex trafficking. This broadcast needs your involvement and support. To find out more, simply go to abolitionradio.org and click on Love Never Fails. Today's program was brought to you in part by Case Industries and with major support from the staff and membership and donors at Faith Fellowship Church. Our theme song, Courage to Believe, is by Justin McRoberts. Hear more about his passion for justice and art at justinmcroberts.com. And this is Dave Naderhood. On behalf of Vanessa, Benita, and the whole team at Love Never Fails, thanks for listening, and thanks even more for taking action to help set captives free. You're in the neighborhoods we live in You're in the ones we're passing by You're in the ones we call our neighbors And the ones who still sleep our eyes Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency Knew all the government's dirty secrets He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.